Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. First, what I might do is stand facing the pole, and then I'm going to climb up the pole to the top. And then once I reach the top of the pole, I will use my core and the momentum if the pole is spinning to tip myself backwards into an inversion. Now my head is facing the floor and I'm hooking my leg and just squeezing the life out of the pole with my leg. Now that might not have been obvious what we're talking about, but today's episode is actually about pole dancing. We'll speak with Lauren Back a blind pole dancer who has enjoyed participating in several pole dancing groups and extols the virtues of pole dancing as a means of exercise and socializing with others. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Lauren Back. My tip is more of an invitation. Um, If you're a blind person and you think that you can't do an aesthetic art or you're nervous about trying an aesthetic art, don't be because the beautiful thing about pole dance and about a lot of other aerial art dance um, practices is that they're meant to be individualized. If someone has a particular body type, they can do modifications for their body. It's not supposed to look the same on everybody. And that's the beautiful and exciting part. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by APHConnectCenter.org, empowering people toward independence and success by providing blogs, information, and resources for individuals of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. Information and referral line are at 1-800-232-5463. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Lauren and learning about their day job. My name is Lauren Back, and I use they, them pronouns. I am a tech worker. I'm an accessibility subject matter expert living in Seattle, Washington. And for about the past eight years, I have been taking pole dance fitness classes. And you are also a guide dog handler? Yes, I am. I actually just retired my first guide um, last year. And what is the state of your vision? Um, I have a little bit of light perception. I have uh, Lieber's congenital amaurosis. So I was born blind. And what assistive devices do you use? I use, let's see, screen readers. I use a white cane as well as my dog. I have a Braille Note Touch. I'm sure I'm missing other ones, but those are the the main ones. In your introduction, you mentioned your day job. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, sure. Um, I work for a company called HCL, and HCL does a lot of things. It's a huge corporate mass. Um, But I work on a team that tests um, software for Microsoft because Microsoft is uh, located in Redmond, which is very close to Seattle. 
and I test their apps for accessibility. It's coming along. If you find that your Microsoft apps are not accessible, <laughs> you're not wrong. It is a slow process. <laughs> At least they're trying to make it better. Yes, that is true. And I said that a little snarkily, but I, I am like super grateful. I mean, I would not have had this job 10 years ago. So it's really cool that um, accessibility is being noticed by big companies and that people that actually use it every day uh, have some say in, in how it gets worked on. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is pole dancing as a means of fitness and socialization. Well, today, Lauren, we wanted to talk about pole dancing, which I must admit, when we first heard about you doing pole dancing... I didn't quite know what it was. I had some impressions based on, you know, people talking about pole dancing, but it's not quite what people would have imagined. Can you tell us what it is that you're doing? Yeah, so pole dance can be a lot of different things. Um probably what you have heard is um sort of what we would call like erotic dance, which is um you know, performed at strip clubs and stuff like that. I must admit that was my first thought. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but also pole dance is a sport. It requires a lot of strength. It was originally um, a circus sort of acrobatic type of art. Uh, people, you know, will climb to the top of very tall poles and do tumbles down and defy gravity to the best of their ability. Um, there's lots of spinning involved, lots of inversions. I do that a little bit, but certainly not to that degree, even though I would like to. That's very exciting to me. But also, like, it's just a great form of exercise as well. well about a year or so ago, we interviewed a pole vaulter. And the pole in that situation is a freestanding object that he carried with him as he ran down the path and then planted it and jumped over a bar. But the pole in pole dancing is very different from that. Can you describe that? Yes, it is. Um, so the pole that I'm talking about is a vertical pole. It's sort of a hollow pole made out of chrome. Some of them are made out of brass. Uh, they can be made out of steel, too. My pole that I have at home is 45 millimeters around. That's almost two inches. Yeah, and, and you can basically, or I can basically just fit my hand around it. Yeah, so, so it's, it's a vertical situation, and it stays in the floor. So there's no uh, wandering around, putting it somewhere and jumping over it. <laughs> and it's attached at the top as well, right? Correct, yes. Um, I have a pressure pole. Uh, it's similar to like how a shower curtain rod attaches. Um, some people who have like more permanent setups can attach theirs to a, a ceiling beam. Uh, I do not live in that kind of house. So you described it as both a sport and an exercise. I can see how you get a lot of exercise crawling up and down this pole and doing some routines around it. But you also said it was a sport. Does that mean there's some kind of competitions sometimes? Yes, there are. Um, and, and there's just 
an incredible array of them. Um, I know when I first started, the only one that I knew of was done by the Pole Sport Organization, which is a weird name for for basically a national, at least in the U.S. So I guess I, I want to back up and mention that what I'm talking about here is pretty much all U.S. centric. Um, I don't know too much, unfortunately, about what's happening outside of the states. But uh, yeah, there's a big national competition. And then it seems like everywhere you turn around, there's just more and more smaller ones popping up all the time. So these sports, then people do routines and they're graded and there's a winner. Yep. There's judges. They get judged on tons and tons of categories. And then somebody wins and goes on to the next one. I've actually um, been to the website for your local pole dancing studio, and I've seen people, you know, pictures and videos of people doing some incredibly athletic things. But if somebody's considering getting started, they don't want to start by like shimmying up a pole that's 20 feet tall. What would be some beginning actions that somebody would do pole dancing? Usually... For a complete beginner, what we tend to start out with is um, we learn how to walk around the pole. So there's a particular way of engaging your shoulders so that you're not falling into the pole so that you have like sort of a graceful, dancey walk around. And then once that is sort of feeling solid, you can start on spins. And spins sound kind of scary, but the advantage of them is that you're always spinning towards the floor. So you always have sort of a soft landing, especially if you put a mat under you. So it sounds like people with any athletic capability can get started, even if you're not a great athlete. Absolutely. I had no athletic ability to speak of when I got started. I was not uh, really encouraged to do athletic things as a kid. Um, not maliciously, but just as a blind kid, it just wasn't really, I wasn't interested. And, and because of that, nobody else was really interested in, in making me interested. Um, (laughs) And I started when I was 28 with, again, really no exercise knowledge, no fitness knowledge, um, and really no body awareness either. So what got you interested in pole dancing? How did you even know this was an option for exercise or meeting other people? Um, I had a friend who was doing burlesque and uh, in the burlesque studio, sort of adjacent to that studio, there was a pole studio. And like I said, I was 28 and I, throughout my 20s, I had really struggled with unemployment and I'd finally gotten my first desk job as a 28 year old. Woohoo! And uh, I was just typing all day and I was like, I need to do something. And I was really scared of gyms. For some reason, pole dancing was less scary than going to a gym. (laughs) Uh, So my friend recommended that I contact the studio and I said, have you ever taught a blind person? They were like, no, but we'll give it a try. So my impression of pole dancing is that you basically never let go of the pole. You may be holding onto it with your knee instead of your hand, but you're always attached to it. I should think that makes it easily adaptable to being done by somebody who can't see. Yeah, that's really true. Um, And that's a great point. You sort of always know where the pole is. Like there's other aerial arts, um, for example, uh, you know, like nets and like silks and and ropes and stuff like that. But I I imagine, I mean, certainly 
there's no reason why you couldn't do it, but I think it would be harder because there's just so much extra stuff, extra physical fabric and things. And like being able to find your center all the time, just finding that pole that's never going to go anywhere. And if it goes somewhere, then you got problems, but, but it's really not moving. So you said you were the first blind student at this studio. Are you also the last? At that first studio that I went to in Minneapolis, um, they now have what they call pole buddies because they've had interest from three or four other blind people. And so they have like a program of volunteers, folks who have done pole for a long time, who will assist a blind person in their first few classes. Um, You know, the instructor's there too, but it is really nice to have an extra sort of hands-on person that can kind of walk you through what's going on visually. As far as the studio that I go to now, I am the first blind person. And as far as I know, the last, but I'm hoping to change that. When you contacted us, you said you were in training to become a um, instructor at your studio. How's that going? It's going really well. We have a really awesome instructor training program. It's a 10 month long program. So it's kind of a commitment, um, which is great. I'm really invested in the community. Um, And also one of the reasons that I applied to go through the instructor training program is, you know, whether or not when I'm done, I have like a full roster of classes that I'm teaching. What I really want to show people is that there can be diversity in pole dance. Right now, I, I feel like there are a lot of people who think like pole dance is for young 20-something women with a particular type of body. And that's just not true. It's for everybody. It works with many types of bodies and many types of abilities. And there's no reason that blind people can't do it. I've been to a number of exercise classes over the years at gyms, and as a blind person, one of the difficulties I found was there's a teacher at the front of the room saying, do this, do this, move left, right, step, this, that. And without seeing it, it's sometimes difficult to understand exactly what's happening. And I'm wondering, in learning and or teaching pole dancing, what are some of the challenges of being blind? How do you get over these hurdles? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um that can be so hard because I think there's there's sort of two parts to it. One of them is like a mindset issue, like pole dance and and many forms of dance is such a visual art form. And so the way that it's taught first and foremost is visually. That said, there's so many other ways to teach someone how to do things. I mean, I think this applies to so many other things besides pole dance, but you know, there's verbal cues, so you can give instructions. That's not always super helpful, but it it can be, and it depends on sort of your skill level at pole. Um, but also, as an instructor, I can, with consent, of course, but I can approach my students and spot them into particular moves. So that means I'm just touching their body where they need to be in contact with the pole. I'm sort of moving their hips to where they need to go. I'm helping them stabilize and I'm helping them reach the end range of whatever the trick is so that they know what they need to be working towards. And how about as you were learning? I suppose the instructor did the same thing with you, sort of flex you into the right positions and and all? Yes, yes. And now, you know, I've gained 
a lot of experience. And what I find the most helpful to do is actually when the instructor is describing the move and demoing the move, I will, to the best of my ability, put my body in those positions that the instructor is describing as they're describing it. I find that that really helps me to mimic what is supposed to be going on. And I take it as in many exercise classes, this isn't generally a one-on-one instructor to individual thing. It's a class venue. Correct. Yeah. We have um, upwards of 10 students in a class. So the classes are not small, but they're not huge either. So um, we really do try to give as much individual as a- attention as possible. And that's why I was so ecstatic to hear about my former studio having pull buddies around to help folks. You know, I think that could work for not even for just for blind folks, but just folks who need a little extra time and attention in class. I would imagine that having a blind student participating in the class would make the instructor have to give more clear directions and that that would help everybody else. I've heard that, yes. Um, And one of the reasons why the owner of my studio, Alyssa, accepted my application is because it is helpful for the other instructors and training to get a glimpse into alternate ways of teaching and just being, instead of just being on the pole and being like, all right, you're here and now you go here and now you do this and being able to explain to instructors and training, like, here's how you can talk through this. And also that will be really valuable for other people that are maybe sighted, but aren't actually visual learners. When you first came to be involved with some of these classes, was there any reticence on the part of the instructors about incorporating a blind individual into the program or how they would deal with it? You know, that's a good question. Um, None really that I was privy to. Um, I think when I first started, like poll was just so weird anyway. Like there was, (laughs) there was just very few people doing it and you have to be a little bit adventurous and a little bit weird. Um, at least you did in 2014 to be like, I'm going to do pole dance. There was definitely like, we have no idea what we're doing, but there was an excitement. You know, people were just like, we're just going to give this a try and see how it goes. I, I really am grateful for that because in the years since I've tried some other athletic things and had some not so pleasant experiences. So I'm glad that I had some positive experiences first. So these people tended to be a little bit more open-minded just because they were on the fringe of kind of exercise programs. Right, exactly. Interesting. Well, and I understand that your studio explicitly encourages people who are members of other groups besides just blind who might be traditionally discouraged from participating in group exercise programs. Yeah, the studio is... um really committed to working with people in traditionally marginalized communities. So LGBT folks, people of color, um, it's a, a body positive space. So we like to try to work with all types of bodies. Again, um, the idea that, you know, you have to have a certain type of body or you have to look a certain way to do pole is just, it's such a pervasive idea that's just simply not true. 
So I've never seen people doing pole dancing, and I'm trying to visualize exactly what it looks like. And I'm wondering if you can kind of do an audio description of some of your routines. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, this will be fun. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) um, I will try to break down a small bit of something that I might do. So first, what I might do is stand facing the pole. And then I'm going to climb up the pole. So using my legs and my arms, mostly my arms, my legs are just there to sort of stabilize me. But my arms, one over the other, will climb the pole to the top. And then once I reach the top of the pole, I will sort of move my body to the side of the pole and hold the pole between the side of my body. So like my waist and my armpit, then I will put my other hand on top above that hand. (laughs) This is a great experiment, sorry. (laughs) And then I will use my core and the momentum if the pole is spinning to tip myself backwards into an inversion. From the inversion, I will hook my leg around the pole so that it is in my knee pit. We call it the knee pit. So it's that crease in the back of your leg that's right under your thigh. When you say inversion, you're talking about now your head is down. Now my head is facing the floor. Got it. Indeed. And I'm hooking my leg and just squeezing the life out of the pole with my leg. Also using the skin on my waist, I can slide into what we affectionately call a pole pocket. So the pole pocket is between your hips and your ribs, it's that little squishy spot of skin, and that will hold you up so that you can let go with your hands. So now I'm inverted, holding on with my leg and holding on with the skin of my waist. It sounds bonkers, I know. It's one of the reasons why people wear very little clothing when they're doing pole dance, because the way that people stick to the pole is by their skin, which again, sounds really painful. And it can be actually, it can be very painful. Have you ever had an accident where you just fell off the pole in this position? You know, I have not. I know that that it has happened, um, but it's rare. And particularly when you're first learning, again, you'll have a person who's spotting you. And also we have crash mats. So similar to if we're learning like a circus art or something like that, uh, there's something under us. So that if we fall, it's not as devastating as it might be. And I assume that when you're a beginner, you're doing everything right side up and you just add more difficult elements as you get more confident in your basic skills. That's correct. Inversions usually take people, I would say six months to a year at least. Well, it's good that people do think about the safety aspects. I guess I'm not too surprised, but that sounds pretty gutsy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And thank you so much for giving me that challenge. Uh, I'm happy to re-record that if if you need me to. Um, It's kind of funny that you asked me to audio describe because I I know a a pole dancer um, who is working on, she has a YouTube channel and she's working on um, putting audio descriptions on her tutorials. And so I've been thinking about how we can work together to provide more audio description. And after doing that exercise, I can see I have a little bit of work to do. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, you know, it's not usually the blind person that does the audio description, so I thought this would be an interesting test. <laughs> That's true. You mentioned that when you first got involved in pole dancing as an exercise, you weren't in very good physical shape and hadn't done much exercising. I'm wondering how you think things have changed since. Oh, that's such a good question. I feel so much stronger. I have a lot more muscles. (laughs) Uh, And that feels pretty good. And it also has helped me be less afraid of trying other sort of physically challenging things. Um, And I think the biggest change that I have seen in myself is sort of proprioception. So like, the idea that you know, where your body kind of is in space. Um, If I go back to that inversion description, when you first start inverting, it's like, where are my limbs? Where is my torso? Where's the floor? Where's anything that makes sense. (laughs) And over the years, I've really been able to learn, like, this is the muscle that's engaging. This is what I'm losing track of here and need and need to work on. These are where my arms are. I just feel like my body awareness is so much better. And I'm like an actual person with a brain and a body, not just up in my head all the time. And I guess this is also a good social outlet in terms of meeting people and interacting with a larger group of people. Yeah, it is. That's kind of one of the reasons, um, besides being afraid of gyms, that I was interested in pole dance at first, because my friend who was sort of in that community had so many friends from the burlesque and pole community. And uh, I was in my late 20s and trying to make friends. You know, college was far away. And I would say that pole is probably the most like it's one of my main social outlets for sure you are listening to eyes on success 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 now for this week's final item how to learn more about pole dancing and how to contact lauren back well lauren if people wanted to get involved in pole dancing as an exercise how would they go about it Pole studios are way more prevalent than they were when I first started. That said, I am cognizant of the fact that if you don't live in a large city, it can be pretty tricky. Also, in the pandemic times, many people have been buying poles for their homes. I have a pole in my home. I'm not sure I would recommend doing that for someone who's never done pole dance before. Poles are pretty expensive and it it might not be, uh, it might not end up being an investment um, that you want to make. My studio has some virtual classes still. Um, We have flexibility classes, we have strength and conditioning classes, and we have a handstand class. Uh, They're all virtual and they do not require a poll. I know of other studios that are also still doing virtual classes. Um, So I would start there um, if, if you don't live in a big city and don't have access to a studio. So let Google be your friend. Google would be your friend. Yeah. And if people had questions for you, Lauren, would they be able to contact you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am available uh, via email. I will spell my email address. It's L-A-U-R-E-N-A-B-A-C-K at gmail.com. I don't have social media, unfortunately. I spend too much time on the computer as it is. 
And as usual, if you're looking for any of that contact information, you can find the show notes for this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 2235. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about the National Braille Press's Center for Braille Innovation. NBP is well known for its mission of promoting Braille literacy and producing a variety of Braille books for all ages and interests. Perhaps less well known is their program to advance technologies to produce Braille. We'll speak with Brian McDonald, president and CEO of NBP, about these efforts. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you'll all catch us next week. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.